0: Yeshiva.net. Good evening and welcome. Tonight's class is dedicated in honor of Chana Sirota by her son in law, David Schattenstein. Also dedicated in the merit of Yaakov Ben Leia Pesia for a complete and speedy recovery. Amen Cain yehi So Mrs. Finkelstein comes into the rabbi's office. She sits down and begins lamenting about all of her tsaris and problems. For three hours she goes on to discuss with the rabbi all of her challenges and trials and tribulations. And after three hours she finally stands up and says, Rabbi, Not only are you a brilliant man, you're also a miracle worker. The rabbi says, why do you say so? And she says, look, I came into your office with a migraine headache. Now after three hours, the headache is gone. It just disappeared. A miracle. And the rabbi tells her, Mrs. Finkelstein, it did not disappear. It was just transferred to me. Tonight we will explore the greatest crisis in Moshe Rabbeinu's life, in Moses' life. That moment in Parsha's Baal when enticed by the multitudes, the Jewish people, weep and cry for food, and Moshe Rabbeinu, their leader, is shattered. Shattered to the point... That it is the only time in the Bible, in the Torah, when Moses requests for his death, he asks God to kill him. Let us explore this extraordinary episode in the portion of Bahalaischah inside. You can open up your curriculum. Under the video there is a curriculum in PDF. Source number 1, Aleph. A few verses of the portion of B'halosch, which we will read inside, to be able to explore, study, dissect, internalize, and then apply this story to our lives. Bamidbar Perik Yud Aleph, Chapter Eleven, Pasuk Dalet, Verse Number Four. The multitudes among them experienced a very strong craving, and even the children of Israel began once again to cry, Who will feed us meat? We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt free of charge. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Now our bodies are dry. There is nothing at all. We have nothing but manna. Man to look at. Moses hears the people weeping together with their families or about their families. And he becomes deeply upset. But now let us listen to the words he communicates to God after the Jews are complaining about the lack of food. They have no meat, they have no fish, they have no cucumbers, etc. <laughs> Moshe tells God, Why have you treated your servant so badly? Why have I not found favor in your eyes that you place the burden of this entire people on me? What have I done so wrong to deserve to be a leader of this entire people? That I conceive this people that I give birth to this nation, that you say to me, carry them in your bosom, as the nursing mother carries her suckling. Yud Gimel, May I in losis l'chala yifku alay leimer t'nu Where am I supposed to get meat for all of these people that are crying to me, give us meat to eat. la anaychi levadi losis l'chala ma'zeki chavit bimeneh. Alone I cannot carry this entire people, it's too difficult for me. And in verse v'im kacha At Isali but if this is what you're doing to me, Imatsasi Please kill me if I have found favor in your eyes. Let me not see my own ruin. What is God's response? Posek to Zion. Va Yomer Hashem al Moshe, God tells Moses, Esphali Shivimish mi Yisrael. Gather, assemble for me 70 men of the elders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle, to the sanctuary, to the tent of meeting, and in to Zion, Vyaradati vidibarti im I will come down and speak to you there. V'atzalti min Hashem Alecha vizamti Aleim. I will emanate part of the Spirit which is upon you and bestow it upon them. They will bear the burden of the people with you so that you do not need to bear it alone. And he continues in Pasik Yudches and Yutes and Chav to promise that soon the nation will be nourished with lots of meats. Not for a day, and not two days, and not five days, not ten days, not twenty days, but for a full month as the story continues. Now let us reflect on this part of the episode. What happened here at this moment to create and generate such deep frustration and bitterness in Moshe Rabbeinu's heart to the point that he turns to the Almighty and says... If This is how you treat me. Kill me. If I find favor in your eyes, kill me. Let me not see my own ruin. Was it only the fact that the Jewish people were craving for food? That they asked, Who will give you meat? If this is the case, there is a great question. This is not the first time the Jewish people are screaming and hollering about the lack of food. In Parshas B'Shalach alone in the book of Exodus, we have three episodes, three occurrences, in which similar complaints take place. First, the Jews have bitter water. Marim, the water is bitter, and they cry out to Moshe about the bitterness of the water. Later, they don't have food. And they're screaming about the absence of food. Why were they taken out of Egypt to die from famine in the desert? The third time they have no water. And they scream out for water to the point that Moshe Rabbeinu there tells Hashem, A little longer, the nation is going to stone me. But in none of those episodes, and in none of the mutinies and revolutions and complaints and problems with which the Jewish people challenged Moses in all of the previous incidents, does Moshe Rabbeinu ever get broken and break down to the point where he communicates these words to Hashem like he does in What What created such a sharp response? They said, give us meat. We remember the good old days when we had sushi, when we had fish in Egypt for free. We crave the cucumbers, the lemons, the leeks, the onions, the garlics. knew they asked for food. But something at this point caused such deep aggravation to Moshe Rabbeinu to speak the words he spoke. What was it? Now let's understand God's response to Moshe. How does Hashem reply to Moshe's outcry? For one, he promises him that he's going to give the Jewish people meat. Granted, that's one part of the response. But before that, Hashem says something else. Hashem tells him from Pasek to Zion, and Zion, I need you to gather for me 70 of the elders, bring them to the sanctuary and there I will share with them part of your spirit. How will this solve the problem which Moshe Rabbeinu was addressing to Hashem? Both Rashi, the great commentator Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, and the Ramban Rabbeinu, Moshe Benachman, address this question, and this is source number 2 and 3 in your curriculum, which you can open up, source number Beis and Gimel, let's see Rashi. Rashi says, shivim ish mezikni Yisrael, gather 70 men. This is a response to your complaint. I cannot bear and carry this entire people alone. Here 70 people will share the burden with you. The Ramban Nachmanides elaborates on this even further. Let us see the Ramban. This is source number 3, source number Gimel. The elders, the Ramban says, will not help Moshe Rabbeinu provide meat for the Jews. Where are they going to get meat? If Moses can't find meat, these 70 people also don't have access to meat. To put it simply, either the meat is going to come through a miracle, and then you don't need 70 people. Or the meat is going to come through natural causes, but then you don't need them. If somehow they have meat, they have meat. So what are we going to gain by having 70 people at the side of Myshe Rabbeinu? To provide meat, they will not be able to do the trick. V'ayt. Even if the Jews have more leaders and more mentors and more people in charge, they are always going to go back and complain to Moshe Rabbeinu. He is the one who took them out of Egypt. As their good old tradition, telling him, why did you take us out of Egypt? And he is the one who through his prayers will provide them with all their requests and desires, and for all their cravings. And therefore, they're not going to turn to the elders. Moshe felt that if they have more leaders, the leaders will help alleviate their wrath, calm their anger, and speak to their hearts while they're complaining. There should simply be more people on his side. Who can speak to them, who can calm them down, who can relax their nerves, who can alleviate their distress. The it's possible the Ramban adds another point. When the elders begin prophesizing and the nation will see that they are authentic prophets, they will stop assembling around Moshe Rabbeinu, and they will begin demanding their requests, demanding their desires from them as well, seeing that they are prophets, they have power as well. But both of these explanations, articulated in Rashi and the Ramban, still need more explanation. Number one. Explanation number one. Rashi says, you're not alone. You have other leaders to carry the burden. Or as the Ramban puts it, they won't be able to provide meat, but they can speak to the Jews and calm them down. Granted. But there were already leaders besides Moses, leading and assisting Moses and leading the Jewish people. Have we forgot Yisraeli? In Parshas Yisro, in the book of Exodus, Moses' father-in-law Jethro sees that he himself is judging the people. And he tells him, you cannot do this. You will rot away. You will rot. The people will rot. You must learn how to delegate. You must designate leaders under you whom the Jewish people can come to when they have questions, when they have disputes, when they have debates. And Moshe follows the advice of his father-in-law. He delegates and shifts the power and designates various leaders to be able to help him carry the burden. What happened to all of these leaders? The second response, the second explanation of the Ramban, mainly, namely, that by appointing 70 new prophets, the Jewish people will now see that the power has been distributed. The spiritual authority has now been allocated to many people, not only to Moshe. You want something, you don't have to run to Moses. You can go to another 70 people. They're also prophets. They can also speak to God, they can also listen to God. But this answer also begs us and leaves us wanting because it never happened. Apparently, this never occurred. What happens in the story? Moses follows through. He gathers 70 people from the nation. He brings them to the sanctuary. Pasuk Chafé tells us that God came down with the cloud, in a cloud, and emanated, took from the Spirit, bestowed on Moshe Rabbeinu, and bestowed it on the 70 men, the 70 elders. When the Spirit dwelled on them, they prophesied, they prophesied, but they did not continue to prophesize. As Rashi explains, they prophesied that day, and never again did they prophesize. According to the Targum, according to Unkulus, Aramaic translation, V'loyah Safu means they never stopped prophesizing. But according to most commentators, V'loyah Safu means literally they did not increase, they did not continue to prophesy. They prophesied for one day. How did that help Moshe Rabbeinu? In fact, in all of the subsequent narratives from Baalos till the end of the five books of Moses, we don't find that the spiritual power and authority has been distributed, has been allocated to other people. Moshe Rabbeinu remained the exclusive leader. When the Jewish people want water, want food, need something, ask something, rebel, they come to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is the person they come to. So this never transpired, this whole plan of 70 people taking away the burden for Moshe Rabbeinu, Jews coming to them when they need something. It never occurred. And yet, notwithstanding these observations, we see that after these 70 people were brought to the tent and they prophesied that day, we have no remnant of Moshe Rabbeinu's brokenness. Somehow it solved the problem. Somehow Moshe Rabbeinu felt much better about his situation. In fact, just a few verses later, if you look into your sources, there are two episodes in the very Baal where it seems that Moshe Rabbeinu comes back to himself. He is now the full-fledged leader, displaying the full spiritual confidence, vigor, spirit, selflessness, optimism of a leader. Just a few verses later, in, in source number four, we have the story Al of Pasik chavav that there are two prophets, Eldad and Medad, who do not prophesize with the other seventy around the sanctuary. They are prophesizing on their own. And Pasik chavav and chavzayin has the young lad coming to Moshe Rabbeinu and saying. Elder and made that are prophesizing, Vayan Yahshua bin Nun, Yehoshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moshe, says, "Adoni Moshe, my master Moses, cloy him, stop them! Or according to one explanation, incarcerate them. Vayoyim Eloi Moshe, Moshe says to him, in one of the most beautiful expressions, HaMekanei are you jealous for me? I wish God would turn the entire nation into prophets. God would bestow there His Spirit on them. You're jealous for me? You're envious for my sake that elder and ma'id are prophets? My dream is that every Jew becomes a prophet. That God bestows His Spirit on every Jew. Look at this transformation. A few moments ago, Moshin Benu was lamenting about this people and what they do to him and how he's not their mother and he never conceived them and he never gave birth to them. Why should he carry their burden? And if he has to carry their burden, he doesn't want to live. He wants to die because it will destroy him. Suddenly he waxes eloquent about the nation of God. Let the whole nation of God become prophets. And then there's the next scene. Source number five, where Miriam speaks to Aaron negative words about Moshe Rabbeinu concerning his wife. And the words the Torah uses here about Moshe are words never discussed before. Moses is the humblest man from all humans on earth. And God tells Miriam and Aaron the words he says in Passock Zion My servant Moshe is Head and shoulders above every prophet. He is faithful throughout my entire home. boy, I speak to him mouth to mouth. In a vision, not in riddles. How do you not have fear to speak against my servant, Moshe Rabbeinu? Here we see Moshe Rabbeinu in his full might and glory. And spiritual splendor and glow. Apparently, something happened which alleviated Moshe Rabbeinu from that profound distress which he experienced after the Jews asking for food. There are various explanations. Tonight, I want to share with you one possible explanation. The nucleus of it is based on an essay written by Britain's chief rabbi, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. But with an addition and an explanation from some other sources and references. What is necessary here is a bit historical context. When does this episode occur? The Jewish people left Egypt on the 15th day of the month of Nisan. Seven weeks later, they stood at Sinai, they received the Torah. Forty days later, they erected, they built a golden calf, many of them worshipping it as an idol. Moses comes down, he breaks the tablets, he beseeches God for forgiveness. God forgives the people, instructs them to build a tabernacle, a sanctuary, a mishkan, which they build and subsequently they erect one year later on the first day of the month of Nisan. A full year since the exodus has passed. They have camped out in the Sinai Desert, close to Mount Sinai. In Baha'alaischah, they finally take the next step in their journey. On the 20th day of the month of Eir, Baha'alaischah tells us, the Jews march on, they move on in their journey through the desert. It's been now more than one year from the anniversary of the exodus, And now they begin the next leg of their journey. And it's in this journey where this episode occurs that the multitudes entice the rest of the Jews to cry for meat and the other foods they're crying about. This was one year in Jewish life. It wasn't just another year. It was the year. It's the year following the ten plagues and a miraculous exodus from the superpower of the time from Egypt. It's a year when they experienced the splitting of the Red Sea, the giving of the Torah revelation at Sinai, betrayal and then forgiveness and rehabilitation. The creation of a sanctuary with God's presence manifested conspicuously in their midst. They have experienced the journey in the desert with all of the supernatural events, including the eating of the manna every day, food coming from heaven, the clouds of glory that encircled them, Their communication with Moshe Rabbeinu communicates to them the law and the spirit and the wisdom from God Almighty Himself. This is the type of year these former slaves experience now in liberty, encircled by the presence and the influence of Moshe, Aaron, the great Jews and God Himself. This is then the key to appreciate what happens here in Baal After such a year, the Jews start crying. But what are they crying about? What makes them so sad? They're crying about meat. Miach ileno Who will give us meat? They're crying about the fish that they used to eat in Egypt. They're crying about the cucumbers and the lemons, the leeks, the garlics and the onions. This affects Moshe Rabbeinu very negatively. Moses is a great leader. He can deal with many challenges, trials. Moses can deal with pain and with suffering. Moses can carry a large people. He did it till now. Moses can confront a Pharaoh and take a nation of slaves, take them out of Egypt and mold them into an Am Hashem, into a nation of God. But here, for the first time, Moses was confronted not with a very challenging reality, not even with an excruciatingly difficult reality. For the first time, Moses encounters what he sees as colossal failure. You have seen everything. You have seen so much, my people. And yet, what do you talk about? Onions, garlic, and meat... This frustrated him. Was it not all in vain? He sees the nation, after such a year, they're still crying about families. They're still gossiping about this family and that family and that family politics. All of the miracles, revelation, salvation, deliverance, creative labor, a sanctuary, repentance, forgiveness. Has been in vain. Maybe he asks himself, I have taken them, I have taken them out from Egypt, from exile. But from the Golos Hashem, from the internal exile, from that internal slavery and subjugation, to the shallowness of materialism and to the most external forces in life, from this exile he never succeeded in taking them out. He never succeeded in liberating them from a certain mentality of a slave, from the narrowness of the physicality of the world, to allow them to see their destiny from a larger point of view, to allow them to see themselves as a nation empowered to transform the landscape of earth and revolutionize it into an abode for the divine as the nation that was charged with the mission to change the world and turn it into an ethical and moral universe, into a Torah universe. Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Hashem and says, I cannot on my own carry the burden of this nation. He does not only mean I physically or emotionally or psychologically cannot carry the burden. What he means is something else. I cannot be the only one who cares. And it seems that at the end of the day, I have not changed these people even a bit. After everything's said and done, when push comes to shove, they're complaining about their meals. They want meat me, Achilleh They don't have spear ribs. They don't have Szechuan. They don't have sushi. They don't have the spices they want. They don't have the dessert. They don't have the watermelons. They don't have enough garlic and enough onions. After everything's said and done, I could not make a dent into this people. Has my life's journey been in vain, futile? Why am I the only one who cares? I'm the only one caring. The vision. The tradition. It's not a question of providing physical meat. God can provide physical meat. It's the question, May I inly bossar. From where do I have meat to give to them that they cry to me? Give us meat. Says the Alter Rebbe Rabbi Shnei of Liadi in Lakutat, something very profound. It's not only a technical question. Where do I get meat? Ich I'm not a shoychet. I'm not a butcher. I don't have access to meat. The question is one much deeper. May I in Libasar they come to me and cry for wheat? Is this who I am? Do they see in me the provider for meat? Ultimately, my raison d'etre, my calling in life is, I can give them meat. Is this is this what Moshe Rabbeinu is all about? They look at me; he is the man who will give us meat, and this affects him very deeply. There are sometimes leaders who dedicate their whole life to change the world to kindle sparks, to inspire people, to make a real difference. And at the end, they turn around, they look around at the people, and they declare that it's all been la hevel velarique. It's all been vain, vanity, futile, worthless, that people really don't change. That after all of the inspiration. All of the revelation, all of the exposure, the flow, the wellspring of holiness, of godliness, of idealism, of truth, of soulfulness. All the curtains have been parted. The veils removed, they got a glimpse into real reality. The doors of perception have been cleansed in their life. And they see the true meaning of things. And yet, notwithstanding all of this, what they're really worried about is their spear ribs, the steak, the watermelon, their garlic, their onions, and their leeks. At the end of the day, what really matters is the sushi. Zecharnu es This can create a great crisis am I worth anything did I make any difference am I making a difference some of the greatest leaders experience a similar crisis, let's take one Yermio Navi Jeremiah the prophet open up your curriculums to source number six, it is one of the most devastating scenes in a book full of devastating scenes Yirmiyoh, Jeremiah, the prophet of destruction, the Navi HaChurben, has been incarcerated at this point by a man named Pashkur ben Imer. Pashkur, the son of Imer, was a nugget, the base Hashem. He was a Cohen. he was a priest like Yirmiyoh, a Navi, who worked in the temple in the Beis Hamikdush disliking profoundly Yermiyo Hanavi and his message, he imprisons Yermiyo, he incarcerates him in the vicinity of the temple of the Beis Hamikdash. And when he takes him out the next day, and according to some commentators, Yermiyo was tortured there. He had him tortured. He had him hanging upside down according to one explanation what this type of prison was. Yermiyo Hanavi speaks, Perik Chof. Posak Zion listened to his words. Pitani Hashem ve'epos epos chazaktani vatuchal. God, you enticed me, and I was enticed. You overpowered me and you prevailed. I Yisilischoikola Kuloi Loyegli, I am ridiculed all day long, everyone mocks me. Kimide Adabe Ezak Chamas Veshoid Ekra, cause when I speak I scream. I call out about the violence and the robbery, kalayoim. The word of the Lord has brought insult and reproach to me all day long. And He says, "Paselid,ur curse be the day I was born. May the day my mother gave birth to me not be blessed. He goes on to speak more of his feelings about the cursed day of his birth. And then in Pasuk Ches tells God, Why did I ever come out of the womb? To see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame. Hear me, oh Anavi, like Moshe Rabbeinu. Like others. At some point, look at the world, they look at the people, and they ask themselves, why was I born? Just to witness my own ruin, my own misfortune, my own inability to accomplish anything. This is what shattered Moshe Rabbeinu. When the Jews are complaining in Parshas B'Shalach, they just came out of Egypt. It may be a challenge, but somehow he can accept it. But now, after you have seen Moshe, after you have seen what you have seen, and now after everything, all you can talk about is the fish and the meat. This broke Moshe Rabbeinu. Even Moshe broke. And God responds. And here we encounter a great moment. One of the greatest moments in the Torah. Hashem tells Moshe, and this is his primary response not only will I give them meat, that's point number two, but his first response to Moshe is bring together 70 people. Bring them to the sanctuary, and I will shear your spirit. And bestow part of your spirit upon them; they will begin prophesying, and that's what happens. They prophesize for that day, and they never prophesize again. This is a great moment. For one moment, God showed Moses the influence he was having on other people. For one moment. Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu the opportunity to get real feedback from his labor. For one moment, Moshe Rabbeinu saw what his inspiration does to people. It creates profits. Under normal circumstances, the 70 elders, like so many other Jews, were humble students and recipients of Moshe Rabbeinu. They were silent in their humility in the presence of Moshe Rabbeinu. They did not shine. They could not shine. They didn't have the audacity to be fully expressive and assertive in the presence of the giant of Moshe Rabbeinu. Source number seven clarifies this point when the Gemara says in Bababasra Daf Basra seventy five a that when Moshe Rabbeinu dies and Joshua Yehoshua takes over. Source number 7, Zion, the elders of that generation said, the face of Moses is the face of the sun, the face of Joshua is the face of the moon. Woe, alas for such shame, alas for such disgrace. Who said this? The elders! When the sun shines, you don't see stars. When the sun dies, when the sun sets, when the sun fades away into oblivion, suddenly all the stars emerge and cast their glow during the kingdom of night. But when the sun shines, who sees the stars? The stars are nullified. Shragbatir Amayani, the Talmud says. What is the benefit of a candle burning during the light of day? Moshe Rabbeinu's Pnei Chama is the face of the sun. When the sun shines, you don't see the stars. You could not see the greatness He generated within other people. But here for one moment, God tells him, I will take the Spirit that's on you, And I will place it upon them and you will see how they begin to prophesize from your energy, from your inspiration, from your flow. And suddenly Moshe Rabbeinu for a moment has that unique privilege that very few people have. He sees what he does to other people. What is wisdom, what is idealism, what is information, what is selflessness, what is soul. The pouring and pouring and pouring of his heart to people for such a long time, what it really does, it makes people prophets. Suddenly He sees the great spiritual heights these people have achieved as a result of His influence. Suddenly God tells them, I will allow you to see how you transform them. You will see that you have disciples. You will understand that even after you die, your light will never cease to, bright up, to lighten up the world. You will see that your seeds have taken root, and thus they will continue to produce and produce and produce. You were fearful that you put into the earth so many seeds, not one of them took root. And when the wind comes and the rain comes, they're just gone. But here you will see that your seeds have indeed taken root and the trees will grow. At that moment Moshe could not have an idea that three thousand years later millions of people every day of their lives will study his words and be committed to his ideals internalize his vision and educate their children with his wisdom. Moshe Rabbeinu could never know that the nation he created as the messenger of God would retain its identity and its Torah through savage suffering after millennia. We know it. Moshe could not know it. But what he needed was, he needed to be able to see that someone will care for what he cared for after he died. That after he's not here, there will be somebody who will carry the torch, who will not sleep at night the way he has not slept at night. Who will be perturbed by that which perturbed him. Who will continue the melody, continue the song. More he did not have to see. they didn't have to prophesize more. He saw what he had to see. And that's what God means when He says, They will carry the burden with you. It's not only they will carry the burden with you, they will talk to the people. You'll have more administrators. Moshe Rabbeinu already delegated to them. It means they will carry the burden with you. You will see that there are people who are carrying the burden with you, who care just as you care. Let's apply this to our lives. The Torah tells us stories, not just to tell us stories, but to teach us lessons for our lives. Torah means lessons. Usually the nature of most people is not to give feedback. Negative feedback more often than positive feedback. Let me ask you a question. Who are the three people, or two people, or one person, who have impacted your life most in a positive way? Do they know that? Have you ever shared that truth with them of what they mean to you? of how much they affected you, of how they changed you, of how they transformed you. Did you ever share that with them and why? Sometimes, when we come to a shiva call, I remember when I sat shiva, when other people said shiva, we hear how visitors talk about the person who passed away. And they share so many stories about him or her. They share about the favors, the gestures, the wisdom, the help. This person offered them 10 years earlier, 20 years earlier, 60 years earlier. And we often wonder, why did they not share this with the person when he was alive or when she was alive? Would it have not done so much to them if they would have heard this when they were living? Maybe a lot of people who are inspired by others feel that it's irrelevant to share feedback with the person who inspired them. He is so much greater than I am. She is so much greater than I am. He or she has so many disciples. Does he really care what I say and what I think? Does my feedback make any difference? What am I? Like a little speck of dust. I'm so insignificant. He must hear it from so many people. Like Moshe Rabbeinu, on a much grander level, but the same applies on much lower levels. Maybe there are other reasons why people don't give feedback. I'm not sure. But this attitude the Torah is telling us should be reconsidered because even the greatest leaders must be able to appreciate the fact that their labor day in, day out is not lehevel velarik. It's not in vain. In 1903... The fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Shalom Ber Schneerson, took a remarkable journey from the city of Lubavitch in White Russia to Vienna. Why? The story was later captured, related by his son, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef who related it to his son-in-law, the seventh Lubavitcher Rebbe who transcribed it and once shared it also at a public gathering. Shabbos B'chokoy, Saitofshon Chavbez, 1962, and in one of his journals, his diaries, published after his passing. The Rebbe Rashab, as he's known, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, that year, 1903, Toferish Samach Gimel, was suffering from nemicho saruach. He was very down. He lamented, he complained to his wife, and he said that after years of working on himself, after years of avoiding, he has not been successful. Not one faculty have I refined, and not one idea is really clear in my mind. And he went to see a person who would later become world famous and was then in 1903 known as a great neurologist, Dr. Sigmund Freud, or Schleimler Freud, better known as Sigmund Freud. The Rebbe was in Vienna for more than three months. We know almost nothing of the exchange and the conversations the Rebbe had with Dr. Freud. But we do know a few things that were given over by the Rebbe's son, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe who traveled with his father to Vienna that year, 03, who related some of it and as I said also related it to his son-in-law who related it as well. One of the things Freud told the Lubavitcher Rebbe was in Germany. He said, "The Kop begreift Sachen, was das Herz kannest vertragen. Das Herz verträgt was der Kop begreift." Your mind grasps and comprehends ideas which your heart cannot bear, cannot tolerate. We know that a lot of the conversation focused on the relationship between intellect and emotions, the balance between them, the chemistry between them. The Lubavitcher Rebbe sharing with Dr. Freud that this is one of the foundations of Hasidic thought and life, to be able to create a link between the mind and the heart. One of the suggestions and pieces of advice that Dr. Freud, Sigmund Freud, gave the Lubavitcher Rebbe was this. He said, you must get feedback from your students, your disciples, your followers. Feedback that they're studying your words, feedback that they're internalizing your words, and feedback of how it's affecting them and impacting them. sometimes even the greatest leaders, need to be able to get their appreciation. It's not about ego. It's not about arrogance. It's not about pompousness. It's about what Moshe Rabbeinu says here. Is my work real? Is my energy real? Is my investment worthwhile? Can people really be affected? Can people's souls really open up? Can we really reveal a piece of heaven on Earth? In conclusion, one more story, and I heard the story today. I heard the story this afternoon from my aunt. Her name is Rebitson Cyril Lipsker. My mother's brother's wife. And she related to me how in 1991, after Shavuos, she traveled to the Ukraine to the city of Dnipropetrovsk. Dnipropetrovsk, interestingly, is the city where the Lubavitcher Rebbe was raised. His father, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak, and his mother, Rabbi Tsenkhana, his father was the chief rabbi of the Dnepropetrovsk. It used to be called Yakotrinislav till the revolution. But after the revolution, when the communists had to change all the old names, Petersburg had to become Leningrad, of course, because you can't mention Peter the Great. You also can't mention Yakotrinislav, which was named after Catherine. Catherine, so it becomes Dnepropetrovsk. In 1990 the first ambassador of Chabad to Dnepropetrovsk, relocated from New York to Dnepropetrovsk, and the Soviet Union then is not what it is today. This is right after the fall of communism in 1989. It was very difficult to get food, to have normal living conditions, never mind somebody who grew up in the West. And Rabbi Shmuel and Chana Kamenetsky, my cousins, first cousins, traveled from New York and settled in Dnepropetrovsk. Today, they built, thank God, a Jewish empire in Dnepropetrovsk with schools and camps and orphanages and shuls and mikvahs, what have you. All the needs of a community, social needs, religious needs, emotional needs, but then it was mamish the beginning. And uh, and Hani's mother, my aunt, Sarah Lipsker, went after Shavuos in 91 to visit her daughter and her son-in-law and her new grandchild at the time in the Dnepropetrovsk. And she was there for three weeks. Knowing that the Lubavitcher Rebbe grew up in Dnepropetrovsk, but hasn't been there in decades. From when he was a young man and he left... And he went to his father-in-law and then left Russia in 27 and then came to Europe and then ultimately came to the States. But this was his city. This is where his childhood was. This is where his father lived until he was arrested and exiled and ultimately died in exile in Kazakhstan. She knew how precious this must be to the Rebbe when she came back. It was right before Shabbos Friday. So she went into the Rebbe's secretary and she asked, before Shabbos, I want to give the Rebbe regards. I'm coming from the Nepropetrovsk. And the secretary asked her, did you not write a full report of what happened? I'm sure the Rebbe would want a full report. She said, I am in the middle of it, but I just wanted to give regards. But a few days later, the next Monday or the next Tuesday, she gave in a full duch, a full report to the Labavitcher Rebbe of everything that was transpiring in the Nehropetrovsk. They were starting to build a mikveh, the classes they were having, the Jews they were bringing closer to Jewish life, the people they were feeding, the Jews that they were feeding, didn't have food, didn't have nourishment, and all of the other activities the Chabad ambassadors to Nebra were beginning to undertake upon themselves. She also related everything that's going on in the family, what's happening in the house and the nature of things and the progress and the challenges and difficulties and so on and so forth. And she told me that a little while later, she got the following response from the Rebbe. A few words. Neskabel, the Rebbe wrote, Utshu I received your letter, thank you very much. Kemayim karim al nefesh ayefa. Like cold water, given to an exhausted, tormented soul. You know, somebody is in a desert... Barren, dry, parched desert for two days. Nefesh hayef, an exhausted soul, and you give them cold water to quench their thirst. That feeling in a hot day, and you get that cold cup of water. And the Lubavitcher ever wrote to her that your letter was Kemayim Karim al-Nefesh It was like cold water given to an exhausted, tired, weary soul. Have a good night.